There are very few producers that I rate as highly as Fortet. Uh, over the past years, Kieran Hebden has managed to pretty much tick every box that matters musically. He makes records that, well, so many of us love. You can listen to him at home. They slam at a party. And he seems to have all done it all with a, a lot of grace and uh, composure. I loved this conversation, and it's really worth listening to. Uh, Kieran is very thoughtful and deliberate, and uh, I found it very inspiring. Now, it should be noted that this was recorded in January, two months ago, in a world that seems barely recognizable now. So we covered a lot of things, Ricardo Villalobos, Rewinds, Burial, the feeling of being a teenager, and we went through a lot of his career highlights. And we did it all just like two friends without a care in the world sitting there um, at the beginning of what, what was then a fresh year. So excuse the fact I was kind of jacked up on the limitless possibilities of 2020. Obviously now everything is different. It's quite a long conversation, but hopefully it gives you 90 minutes of an escape as you can hear two friends talking about DJing, music and life. This is Last Party on Earth. Last So I am here in a top secret location. Um, I took a little road trip. I'm here with uh, Kieran Fortet. I'm very excited. This is a new uh, new edition, new season, new year, new series of Last Party on Earth. Kieran, welcome. Hi. And uh, yeah, so I'll say it. I like to start with, I love your music. and I'm, oh, I'm, Thank I, you very I, much. I really like it. And um, so let's talk. Let's get, get into, we're going to talk a little bit about DJing, obviously, a little bit about your approach to making music, a little bit about your career. And uh, so... Uh, we were ju- you were just about to tell me it was a little bit of origin story, mm-hmm. and I want to hear a little bit more about. You had mentioned you were in a band called Fridge, yeah, and that led to uh, that was on Output Recordings, and you were also mentioning Arthur Baker. So I yeah. want to jump in there. All right, yeah, those. Are, so I got going first in a band, playing sort of. <clears throat> this is sort of like mid nineties, and we were sort of like an experimental rock band, influenced by kind of sonic youth and grunge and all that stuff but also all the sort of like post-rock stuff was happening with like i know tortoise and godspeedy black emperor and all that type of stuff i bought a tortoise album tnt okay yep i exactly. own one that's okay that's the entire genre for me all right well i so i was deep into that and that's what the band it was like our high school band or secondary school and that was kind of the beginning of everything i met um I was in a record shop one day. I would go after school to go and buy new records and stuff that were coming out. And I met this guy called Luke in the record shop who just got talking to me. And he was like, oh, I'm a bass From player. From the Rapture? No, he was oh. in a band called Emperor's New Clothes who were okay. on acid jazz. Okay. Yeah, this is, this is <laughs> early 90s. You know? Congratulations he, to the first person on the show who said acid jazz. Yeah, and uh, he they were in the studio at the time and recording a record produced by Trevor Jackson. Okay. And he said to me, he was like, oh, you know, if you're in a band, give me a tape or whatever. And I gave him 
uh, demo tape. It was the first ever demo tape we gave out and I sent it to him and he played it to Trevor and then Trevor came and met with us and he was just starting Output Records. Trevor seduced you. He, uh, well, I just the thought that anybody would put a record out. I Like my dream was to release a record at that point, you know, yeah. it was, and it seemed so out of reach almost because it was expensive to press records and things and he was setting up this thing and I knew the underdog records and stuff. So... Output was a great label. Yeah. Great and he label. was just like, what do you need? And he just hired all this equipment, had it sent around to the drummer's house, and we just started making records, teaching ourselves. So that was with your first demo? Yep. So that's a nice feeling. It was like, good, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, everything got going really well from there. And what was the other? Arthur Baker, you mentioned. Yeah. So the reason I was telling you about Arthur Baker, because we did a few records with Trevor, like uh, a couple of albums and a bunch of singles and stuff. And there was this radio station called XFM in um, London at the time, which was the main sort of like indie rock radio station. And they were playing our music a bit. And Arthur Baker phones up output one day and is like, I've heard this band Fridge on the radio. I'm really blown away by it. Uh, I want those guys to come work on this session with me. And Trevor's like this legendary producer, Arthur Baker, you know, wants to. What's this? Do like, is this like two thousand, two thousand and one? No, no, no. This is all. This is like ninety seven. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, something okay, like okay, that. Okay, like okay, ninety eight maybe. And um, Arthur was in the studio with Electronic, with Bernard Sumner and Johnny Marr, and that's the first time I ever went in a recording studio. Were they there? They were there, and we all worked together on these songs for a couple of days. Oh my god! And yeah, that was that's my, legit. Yeah, it's like fast track. <laughs> Yeah, my first experience in a studio, and we were just, um, yeah, we were doing that, and I, I remained friends. I kept, I'm still in touch with Arthur now. Arthur's great. Yeah, Arthur's still in great. touch, and like, I mean, he lived in London for a while, so we would hang out more when he was there. But he's in uh, the US, and I don't see him as much anymore. But we, yeah, I think he's in Miami again recently. Yeah, but he's great. Yeah, I remember meeting him around. That's why I said 2000, 2001. I was later, but I remember. I think wasn't he doing those escape. To New, escape from New York parties or something. He was doing some parties in the early yeah. electro days. That's around when I met Trevor. Anytime anybody mentions Trevor, mm -hmm. I just smile. Cause okay. like he's, well, he, he's kind of polarizing, you know? I mean, I love Trevor. <laughs> yeah. I think he's amazing. He was kind of like a mentor to me at the beginning. Like he, um, he just taught me so much. I learned about so much music from him and I would just go to his house and he would play me record after record and just blow my mind. That's amazing. And we had a really good time just hanging out and enjoying music. I know. I think I know the flat you're talking about. Okay. That was his old flat. Near Old Street. Yeah. yeah. And I remember when the first time I went there, I don't know if you felt like this. Trevor was one of those guys who like had all the cool toys. He had everything. Like he had yeah. everything. Yeah. He had every cool. And this is... Now it's quite common for mm -hmm. people to be like curators and collectors. Mm -hmm. But I remember when I first met Trevor, him and too many DJs were the people I met who had like, oh, this is a, it's not just the book you want. It's yeah. printed in Japan. Yeah, and yeah, it's absolutely. not, and it's like, and he had all the, Trevor had all the gear, all the records and all the, I mean, the posters and the artwork and mm. the limit. It was, yeah, I remember being all like, and oh. like knew where it all came from and he would show me a record and he'd then tell me about the label and about the producer and he just had all the information to go with it and because he's the first time i ever went to a club was with him um to see he played at the blue note for one of james lavelle's parties and it was him and dj shadow or something that's the first time i ever went to a club saw anybody dj 
And it, it, at that moment, I was just like, whoa, you know, and it was all, but I was in this band and I desperately wanted to make electronic music and do sampling and stuff, but I didn't have any of the equipment. In those era, like samplers were still those kind of like rack mount, like Akai, Akai type of thing. Like, Akai S950. Yeah, and I couldn't afford any of that stuff. It was way out of reach for me. And I just wanted to make sample based music and I didn't have the means. So what's the, what was the chronology for you between, so between let's say wanting to be in a band wanting and discovering club music and, and DJing. So was it, was it band first? It was band first. And what was happening was I was talking about how grunge happened and I was like the right age for that. And then after grunge, that whole sort of like lo-fi DIY scene with like riot girl and everything happened. And that was a hugely inspiring thing for me because the message from it was like, you don't need to go in a fancy studio or ever to record. You can just make records yourself at home. And that was happening in America. But at the same time, like jungle and stuff was happening in the UK. And when that, when jungle came out and people like Fotec were making records in their bedroom and then you'd hear those. So I was checking out those records as well. You would hear them at school every day. And then I started buying all the first metal heads records and things. And I met Trevor and all this stuff's going on. And it was, that was the really inspiring thing for me across all genres was this idea of just like DIY, mm. like getting away that felt sort of obtainable. Did you have a, did you have a specific, I often ask guests, like if you had like a, you know, the acid house moment, like, did you have like in a club, you know, a specific moment where you were like, you know, no, not at all. I, I didn't care about clubs at all. And not for a long time. I only cared. It was just records. The whole thing was driven by records for me, like hanging out in record shops, meeting producers or whatever. It was all about, I want to make a record that's on the shelf. Okay. That's why when you get signed, when you send the demo, yeah. that's, so how did you, what, when, okay. So you put that record out, had you studied music or had you had any idea you were going to, had no, you had any fantasies in your head of being a musician or no, like, so what ha I was just doing, it. it was like my hobby and a big social thing. And then what happened was I got to university and I was able to get my first computer with like the student loan I got at college. And then I was on a computer science course with the guys from Simeon Mobile Disco and they gave me... Your school life is like... Yeah, I kept, I bumped into all these amazing people all the time and they gave me my first piece of like cracked software that allowed me to make a loop and sequence it and stuff. And that changed everything for me. And that's when I made the first Fortet record and um just at college and then about a year into college what were the, you studying at school uh maths and computer science oh. and then uh, <laughs> and then everything was like uh the music stuff was kind of kicking off like the fridge stuff was coming out but then the fortet stuff started coming out and that was doing well and then fridge got signed to like a major label and i quit college i was gonna say did yeah. you have that's what happened to me i had uh i had a it was basically an education versus rave, mm. like death match. Okay. And they were like, it was like last semester and it really was like, you know, final credits of, I was studying history at university okay. versus like this big party that I was throwing or whatever and, and school yeah. just narrowly lost. I, I, it just hadn't, it just, I feel it was a kind of like a crossfade basically of like, yeah, that I was doing school and suddenly music just evolved into my career without me ever making some decision. Like I want to make a go of this. Like I want to be a musician. It just, 
Or you realize was, you're very lucky. Yeah, I was just suddenly there, and it was suddenly when the big record deal offer was there. It was like this is enough money to live off for a few years and set up our own studio. And I was like, okay, well, this is. So, how old are you at this time? Like eighteen, like eighteen or nineteen, I suppose. Like, I sometimes think a similar pattern happened with me, and I sometimes think of all the luck I've had. There's been a lot. That's mm-hmm. kind of the luckiest that mm. that if you're spared that whole all the agonizing of like what am i going to do and what's my career going to be could yeah. i be a musician i think when it just kind of like i like how you said it when there's that crossfade yeah and you're still very young so mm. you're kind of you're excited a little bit naive that's such a blessing i yeah. think it really kind of and you carry a lot of that momentum yeah. all the way through because it's you know it, it just it happens in such a natural way yeah and i was like just suddenly in the middle of it and that's when that's when people like trevor would just be like all right you know, these are all the sort of things that are going on. That's when I discovered the existence of DJing or like, and he would say, oh, this guy, Giles Peterson's played your record on the radio. And I'd be like, who's Giles Peterson? So you never had, so there was no, you had no DJ culture going no, to parties. None, not none at all. of that was none part of, that of your life. At all. And I'd never Did you have even, a feeling about it at all? I knew, I knew it was going on, but I was so, I was so into going seeing bands and like the sort of live music scene. I was so tied up in all of that the DJ thing hadn't appealed <clears throat> to me particularly, but I was checking out the records like, you know, because at that time, that's an exciting, the I mean, records are amazing. Yeah, yeah, like if cr- you think about what's happening, like all the jungle stuff's happening and then like Aphex twin and all those things are happening. Like hip hop's amazing. There was like, everything was so good. It felt like in all directions and very new. I mean, and you, so were, new, you were yeah. getting records. I mean, I remember the first, you know, I remember hearing like a bookum record and being like, what is like, just <laughs> totally. genuinely yeah. like not, there's n- no real reference. You could say, oh, it's sped up. That yeah. was about as close as you could come to explaining it. Yeah. Know? I remember thinking at the time, like there are records coming out now that you couldn't imagine them before they exactly. existed. Yes. And that was like an amazing I love thing, that feeling. You know, like, <clears throat> and I don't think it's- Do you still feel that sometimes? Not particularly. I'm very, <laughs> uh, but I'm quite interested in this concept of- um, the idea of music not being futuristic and stuff anymore. You know, that I feel like music, Ooh, I like we could go on a I, giant. Well, I feel <laughs> for me, uh, when I think about it, the concepts I've got cleared out, mapped out in my head is music and technology developed together, sort of hand in hand from say the forties. And have they now till been, the end? Has it been split now and, or something? Well, around 2000 or so, once you have jungle and once you can put everything in a computer, you reach a situation where, all the things that weren't humanly possible to play, all the polyrhythms and the tempos and things that a human couldn't do, a computer was able to do. And then we got to the point where we were able to develop every every permutation through a computer. And humans can only enjoy a certain degree of tempo. Like there's a, there are speeds that humans like in the same way that there are chords and notes that humans like, and there's only a sort of finite amount of them. And we've, we're at a point where we've really tried so many of the possible permutations of these, of these things. There isn't a, to come up now with an original drum pattern or chord sequence stuff doesn't, maybe doesn't really exist so much anymore. So, I don't think. so it's not a function of our age. It's not a function of where you're at with, in relation to your own excitement, your own experience. You think it might actually be the numbers. Yeah, I think so. I like, 
I listen to all I the mean, stuff I like, that, I like that thought, yeah. actually, because it's... I listen to all the stuff that Mark Fisher said about this, and... Oh, God, uh, I bought... I ordered his... I okay. ordered the collected works. Okay, Did you yeah, get it? I've got that. It's yeah. like... <laughs> yeah, it's intense. I can, you but, can't travel with it. Yeah, but the thing is, you can dip in and out of it, because it's some of it's shorter articles and stuff like that. But he... It was reading what he was saying about this idea of future that I was like, oh, that really makes sense to me. That adds up. Like He said things like... If you were somebody in the year 2000 and you heard music from 2015, you wouldn't be that surprised. But if you were somebody from 1970 and you heard music from like 1995, it would blow your mind. Yeah. And I think like I see the parallel with the technology and the music carrying on. And then I think around 2000, the technology has got us to a point where we've exhausted a lot of the possibilities that exist uh, with, with music in terms of things like rhythm and chord sequences and stuff. But where the technology has developed enormously over the last 20 years, I think, is in the presentation of music, particularly live sound and visuals and stuff. So if you went to a concert, if you were taken forward in time from 2000 to 2020 and you went and saw a show at the main stage at Coachella, it would blow your mind mm -hmm. to hear the sound and to see visually what's going on because the technology in that area has developed a huge, huge, yeah. huge amount, you know? But how do you feel? Um, we're going to jump to some of your records and everything soon. <laughs> okay. but this, well, this is a topic that I really, <laughs> this thing of, you know, I guess not to oversimplify, but the idea of the future and mm. if it's still, is there still a future? What does the future look like? Or is that, you know, I, I think about this all the time, but especially had you, if you've been around in the nineties, early nineties and acid house, and everything, I mean, so much of, so much of it was about the future, mm -hmm. you know, futuristic graphics and visuals and yeah. flyers and, you know, even the language of the records and the song titles and fractals. And, you know, it was all quite cyberpunky yeah. and, and very optimistic actually. And which I always think is so crazy now when people do all these retro nineties records and stuff, because it's mm -hmm. like, that's not the spirit was never to look back. Yeah, you know, totally. was, so, but if you think maybe, that we've run some kind of course mm -hmm. and in terms of how the music's evolving or what's capable or what we're capable of enjoying. How does that affect your own motivation making music? Does it, do you ever get, do you, do you find yourself getting discouraged? Is it, or is it not relevant or do you just plow on or? Well, I think this links to the thing I was saying about being so influenced by just records, like wanting to, make records and that being such a that was kind of enough for me i wasn't thinking about clubs or anything is that still I, enough that's i'm so inspired by that still and the okay. thing that really i got into this headspace where my concept was like i'm making records now and it's not because i'm on this goal to make the best record i've ever made i'm making records to document my musical journey and my musical ideas that's a very wise approach and the artists that i love most ever people like Joni Mitchell or Miles Davis, people like that. I look at their body of work and it's a cat it, it documents what their ideas mm. perfectly and their ideas always evolved. They never went backwards always or prints or something like it's just a constantly evolving thing that <clears throat> sort of archives their creativity in this brilliant way. Yeah. And I see for me, that's kind of what I'm in the middle of and what I'm doing is I'm pursuing this sort of musical path and investigation and exploration that I'm on, trying to be as creative 
<clears throat> and interesting and true to myself as possible and i'm making records to document that and i want the document to be very pure and excellent and that really makes me like all right making records is still my thing and i'm not going to let that go and that's the kind of that's beautiful i i like that approach <laughs> i'm 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 like that right now 2020 mm -hmm. i'm like that I don't know if I was like that 2019. Mm -hmm. I think I, <laughs> but, uh, do you, are there things, um, do you feel like, are there things you do to protect that path kind of in terms of like, Oh yeah. More like, and more and more, <clears throat> especially in the last say 10 years or so, like, like I was saying, I, I had the experience of small indie label, big major label. And then I started releasing with Domino for a few years and did that sort of like in between thing. And I had a whole variety of experiences. And <clears throat> once I got to a certain point, I was like, so much of what's going on in this sort of label culture and sort of industry I'm involved in is inefficient and using up my time and getting in the way of this ultimate goal that I was talking about before. So, and this coincided with becoming a father as well that had a big impact on me because it would just made me think like time's precious efficiency like, becomes yeah, like, a real because i could be at the park with my daughter right now why am i doing this australian phone interview yeah, you yeah. know like I, so the sorts of no. things i i became at that point i was like i'm just going to get rid of everything that is not fun to me anymore and doesn't feel like it's got some like deep meaning to it and this happened around 2010 i've really stuck to that being thinking I'm going to be very kind of zen about this even if I'm making a decision that I know will lose loads of record sales or potentially not be the mess, best sort of traditional career move I'm going to go for it and it's paid off beautifully I was going to like, say I think everything's gone so well for yeah. me in the last 10 years that things have just got stronger and stronger and I don't but you were talking about getting rid of things like I don't do press. I don't do interviews. I mean, I'm doing an interview here with you now. <laughs> this one doesn't and count. Yeah, it's just not, uh, you know, there's no way something like this would ever happen. Through. I don't have any press people working for me, no PR people. I don't work with a label. I've had situations where a distributor will get in contact with me and be like, we really want to work with you in this territory. We could like, uh, you know, there's a lot of demand. We could press some more records and things. And I look at the whole thing and be like, yeah, but if I do that, then I'm going to have to email with you and I'll be like, let's not bother. Yeah. And they look at me well, that's like, that's exactly what I meant. Yeah, by things like, what, to what are you talking about? Yeah. What, what are you talking about? You don't want to sell more records. And I'm be like, no, it's, I, I, it's not that important to me to sell more or reach these well, or supposed it's not, targets. Or, yeah. Or oftentimes, you know, there's a, there's a transaction involved Yeah, and the, and part of that transaction could just be you giving your attention yeah. over to those emails or that communication and there is there's something you lose in that you know yeah because time is everything at this point like it's yeah. it's all about doing only things that are of like proper sort of quality and and i think this is a, something that i think is a problem in a lot of the things i see going on particularly in sort of like festival culture and all this sort of stuff is having there's a lot of business going on without proper sort of artistic integrity at the sort yeah, of heart with no, of it all. with no with with no idea yeah totally the core and, of it. and i i think given that i believe that mu music can't be futuristic anymore and that we've done everything <laughs> <laughs> the 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 thing to hold on to and the thing that does make a difference is about ideas and artistic integrity and stuff and i latch on to anything that's got some genuine sort of 
concepts and soulfulness and all those things. Yeah, well, I think I think what's really cool, and then we'll you know, is I like the idea that you know I had a record store for like 15 years. I worked every Mm -hmm. day, my own store, and probably similar period, you know, the 90s especially. And I love the idea of you, you know, you get these records, they blow your mind, you hold them in your hand, and you Mm -hmm. want to be part of that club. You, yeah. you want to do it. But the thing that's, what I think is amazing is, if you think about it, that feeling, that product in your hand, it's like the furthest away from festival culture. Mm. Because what that is, is that's maximum ideas. Yeah. Maximum kind of, it, there's a real, there's real like dense creative energy mm-hmm. with no marketing, with no yeah. thought to, to how to maximize it with yeah. no, it was almost like, let's minimize this. Yeah. Like, oh, it's just in a record store. There's yeah. no, and, and, and now it's like, you get all the uh, accoutrements, all the other stuff mm. without that same core sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And also the thought, like, I want to be able to do something that I can look back on, you know, in 50 years time or whatever, or <laughs> other generations can look on and it's, and it still stands up, you know, like I've, I've, I have a huge sense of relief that I don't look back through the stuff I've done and there isn't some like bizarre record that I did where it was a complete misstep, you know, like (laughs) some sort of attempt to like cross over into some area where I had no business going or something, you know? Well, I was going to talk about it later, but your sound in a lot of ways, you've, you, it's like the greatest magic trick because you've made it so like a lot of people have come over to you. Mm. You know, if yeah. that makes any sense, like, yeah, yeah. It, and that only comes from confidence, but also it's all those little, it's all those little decisions not to do the mm-hmm. Australian phone call or yeah, whatever yeah. it is. You know, it's millions of those Australian yeah. phone calls mm. added up, and it's distraction. Yeah. So when, tell me a little bit about so we can get onto the. I haven't even said the word party. We're like okay. half hour in. <laughs> There's no party going on. Um, when, well, what was the first time you ever DJed? So. I mean, I did all sorts of little bits of, I feel like there's two parts to this. There's, I did little bits of DJing just because you would get invited to do it. I'd be like, Ninja Tune would be like, we're having a party. And I would come along and I would play records. And, did you feel <laughs> like a DJ or were oh, you yeah, like... I loved it. Like, okay. You uh, because the first time I ever went to lots of clubs was to, the first time I ever went to the end was to DJ. Like I'd never been there before. I walk in and the first time... So you weren't a party guy. Yeah, not at all. And the first <laughs> time I ever DJed was in a club in front of a big audience and I'd never even touched the equipment before. And I was when I said I'd left college and I just had this belief, I need to get stuck into this and I just need to say yes to everything and just have all the experiences and find out what I like. So somebody was like, you want to come DJ at this thing? And I'd be like, yes. yeah, definitely. You, know, you weren't ever nervous or? Uh, no, I like, I don't know. I, like it didn't seem intimidating. Like, and having people like Trevor around me made me feel very relaxed about it. Mm. Like he was there and he was just like, you know, I would see him do all sorts of things, just following his heart and instinct. He didn't seem to have any pressure on him no, to he's, like. He's good yeah, that way. Yeah, and I think having somebody like that around made me just feel like, oh yeah, you just go out there and play your favorite records, whatever order yeah. you want, like whatever you think is cool. I mean, which is it, that is the best advice. Yeah. I mean, it is. So I would do little bits of DJing like that, but I didn't take it hugely seriously. It was like a fun thing. But then around the sort of like mid two thousands, I was um the music i was making had gone on a very experimental tangent i was working uh mainly doing totally improvised music with a jazz drummer with this guy steve reed and i was involved i was really interested in like jazz and improvised music and all these things 
and uh, <clears throat> doing things that were like not so much more sort of like niche that experimental f- sort of Is that of scene. as Fortet? Uh, no, it was Kieran Hebden and Steve Reed, the records with him, but also the Fortet records and the Fortet live shows around the time. There was an album called Everything Ecstatic, and it was very influenced by like free jazz, and it was very sort of cacophonous and wild. I mean, I distinctly, you know how it is, you, you remember like first impressions, and yeah. I, I remember the f- my first impression of Fortet mm-hmm. was it was like weird music. Yeah. I, like there straight was, up weird. And there was an era. And, <laughs> and, around, and, that stuck, yeah. and that stuck with me for quite a while. And I was like, wait, it's not that weird. Like yeah. as the years went on. I had and, no interest in dance music or anything like that at all. It was very much, I was more influenced by what like Migo Records was doing and Finesse and Orteca and all these. Mm. That's the sort of world I was getting into. But then I suddenly get this... Uh, call or well not call to my agent or whatever from timo mass okay being like he's got this uh, party in ibiza dc 10 seems random <laughs> yeah it's timo's a very sweet guy yeah by the way he's, so, a, he's a great guy I, I hadn't met him at the point i think it was no what happened his booking agent this guy david levy was a big fan of mine and said to him you should get kieran to come and play at your residency at dc 10 and i was like i've never <laughs> been to ibiza this whole thing seems kind of out of my, not in my normal sort of world, but I was getting, James Holden had started putting out some records around this. So the like border mid, community The records? border community stuff had started coming out and I heard that and it really spoke to me. I was like, this is... That had a big impact on a lot of people. Yeah, those such I hear that an impact often. on me, like that combination of, because it brought lots of the stuff that was going on in the experimental world I was interested in, but applied it to like big room club records like and not they weren't sort of like just obscure sort of underground records they were massive records you know and i think that was really exciting to me i was like somebody who's working in my sort of world that i I can see there's these connections here makes records that fifteen thousand people go crazy to at a rate well i think that's that's what i hear now in a lot of your records i think is it's a bit that holy grail of like the experimentation Mm. and the 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 weirdness underneath yeah. with a certain i don't know if functionality is mm. the right word but but uh something that can actually function yeah in a very specific environment for yeah, a large I've learned, number uh, yeah, of people i've learned all that stuff now i feel and this what i'm talking about was the beginning of that and then so timo i go out to dc 10 and i play a very weird set at dc 10 before How he was goes a on crowd reaction okay at moments like all over the place people are like what's this guy doing and um but before we go to the party uh we go to his villa where there's this big dj dinner i've never been to any of these this things your first before. dj dinner, first DJ I like how, dinner. Ed, by the way every single thing you've said yeah. was your first time yeah. <laughs> it's just like a sequence of like didn't ask for it yeah. got invited first time yeah boom boom and DJ dinners this, for, for those that don't know that's a whole separate <laughs> podcast yeah I've done a lot of that now and w- my first ever DJ dinner Timo's there and he is unbelievably nice to me and my booking agent and we instantly just feel like we're having the best time and he's so friendly and he's so enthusiastic and he says to me he was like so hang on you don't dj very much at all and i was like no not really this is not something i know about and he was like you gotta start djing like djing's great you should get into this and he tells me a bit of his story and stuff anyway we do the ec10 and then a week later we get the contact being like timo's starting his own residency at the end where he's going to play open to close in the main room every two months will i do 
room two, the second room, open to close, <laughs> and do the residency with him. I was like, yeah, great. <laughs> so yeah, like a real. Uh, it's been a real dog fight for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I go there and I do this residency for like a year or so, and at the beginning. I can't hold the room at all. Like, it's disaster. Like, I get everybody dancing. And I'm anonymous in this club. It's a more European audience. They don't know what Forte is. Like, nobody's coming there to see me. So I'm just the person in room two. And I'm either going to make people dance or I'm not. It's great. It's a real test. Yeah. And I see all this going on. And I get this determination in my head being like, hang on. I want to nail this. I want to learn how to do this, you know? And so I do a year with him and by the end I'm getting pretty good. Like there's, I'm buying loads of music. I'm really like focusing on the whole thing. I'm suddenly interested in DJ. I have to interrupt you for one second. So when you say that kind of a studious, like an approach, okay, I'm going to figure this out. Yeah. And you start buying more kinds of records. Like, are you, do you start buying records? Like, okay, I'm not, I'm not so wild about this record, but I see how it'll work. No. Okay. No, that would have been, yeah, I wouldn't have. Yeah, that that wouldn't have been right. You never went that far. I never went that far, but I was, the records I was buying, I might've just enjoyed them in the past. Now I was thinking, hang on, this will be really good in a club, you know, like, and this is around the time of like, you know, DFA starting up and all that thing. And they're like, Carl Craig's putting out the greatest remixes of all time and stuff. Like the Angola one. Yeah. These records are appearing and you're just being like, whoa, not only do i love this record this is going to be that was a very good period a really good interesting time. records yeah. that actually made people and also dance. dance music wasn't it was going through a sort of uncool period as well because bands were so hot at that time everyone's going to go and see the strokes and franz ferdinand's come out and stuff and like club music and bands have crossed over in this, this is like of, electro clash yeah in this little. different sort of way and just going to like a straight club party with Timo Mass wasn't a cool thing in London. I remember at that time. that's like, that's when I made my that's when yeah. I entered the scene for that for that exact reason. Yeah, it was I having think. this kind of lull, I think, in term not in terms of the size of the audience, but in terms of the coolness. Yeah. It wasn't and friends of mine were all looking at me being like, what are you doing? Like yeah. You know, you were playing this really cool experimental festival that was featured in Wire magazine, and now you're worrying about playing with Timo Mass at the end. Like, what's, yeah, <laughs> you know, like, like, what's going on? Everybody's looking at me like I was kind of mad. And I was like, no, 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 this, there's something going on here. And then I met, got to meet James Holden. So he was playing okay. at the end. I was like, I'm going to go to his thing. And he's like putting out such crazy good records at the time. And I'm like, and we spoke that night and I said to him, I was like, I want to be doing what you're doing. And he said to me, I want to be doing what you're doing. And now, 15 years later, he makes experimental jazz music with a drummer. And, you're and making, I'm doing like big room techno. Yeah. You know, like we did kind of flip over. Well, I like the idea that you, I, I like the idea that you wanted to solve the puzzle, you know, mm. in terms of. of well, of, then, so then what did happen? So then i did a year with timo mass and then james was starting a border community night at the end and so i moved over to that and then did a year of that and by the end of it i headlined the main room and smashed it and i was like all right okay i I know what i'm doing and then that's when i took a residency at plastic people which was the smaller club and then the drummer i was working with the jazz drummer he passed away he was like he was much older than me and he died and it left this massive sort of void for me where I was kind of like, oh, I don't really, 
I don't want to find somebody to replace him. And I'd invested so much time. We were in the middle of this really sort of creative thing. Then that was the focus of my records and everything. And then I was like, well, I don't want to work with somebody else. I'm just going to start making music on my own again. But then when I sat down to make music on my own, I couldn't not think about trying to make club records. And that's when I started actually making records for the first time, where I was like, I'm going to make something that's good in a club. And I started making things specifically for plastic people, I think creatively some of the greatest moments are when i went into studio with a destination in mind mm -hmm. a specific dance floor in mind yeah like i'm gonna make a track for this club mm -hmm. at this time of night yeah. and, and that's often you get amazing results okay so you are now officially a dj which means yeah. that's a pretty good segue into yeah. the um, actual theme of your podcast <laughs> yeah the theme of my the theme of my podcast is i don't i'm it's it's not always even so mm -hmm. relevant it, i kind of Okay, so the idea here is, yeah, it's uh, your last party ever. Mm -hmm. um, well, the thing that struck me about this theme <laughs> and talking about, when I talk about plastic people is, I think I've kind of had this experience already of the last party on earth in some ways for me, which was the closing night at Plastic People. Oh, you've done this. Uh, oh, it's going to be it. easy for you then. Yeah, we did it. And it felt at the time and still feels to me in lots of ways like the last party on earth like like nothing will ever touch it wow like it was one of the peaks of my whole life one of the like greatest of symbols of everything i've done and everything i care about in music all magically happening Do you have it recorded by the way it is recorded and it's on soundcloud <laughs> and lots of people know about it and it's discussed a lot and i get asked about it more than anything else and it was it was me and Floating Points, who was one of the other residents at Plastic People. And we had very short notice that was closing down. And we're done. It was a few days after New Year's. And on for that, for some reason, I'd done some marathon New Year's that year and played four clubs in 24 hours or something. Wait, and when is this? What year? Do you know? uh, it must be like three years ago now, three or four years ago now. Okay. And um, played all these clubs and were on the train back from Leeds or something, having done this stuff and i'm with sam floating points and we get a call from the manager at plastic people being like the owners decided it's going to shut you know like and we're going to make this the last weekend they're putting the rent up but it's all everything's sort of falling apart condos it, yeah like tomorrow it, it, they were like it looks like tomorrow's gonna be the last ever night no tonight that's what they said tonight's gonna be the last ever night on the thing and she was like do you guys want to do it and uh we were like oh god we're so tired and everything and we were sitting there for a minute. I was like, I don't know, I'm tired. And then I was like, what am I talking about? What's my last chance to ever play at Plastic People? This is like the premise of a show right yeah, here. Yeah, exactly. Like you're on a train, you get a phone call. <laughs> yeah. So then I said to Sam, I was like, oh, no, we've got to do it. So we got back to London like four o'clock in the afternoon. And I was like, let's both go grab our records. Class. It was just two turntables and a mixer, nothing else at all. No CDJs, nothing. Both packed. We were like, just bring all the classics, bring all the best, ah. the biggest records that See, were. That's a good. That's a good starting point. Yeah, that we we said to each other, just bring the anthems, and we both yeah. frantically packed our records, and we came down there. We announced it on social media, like this is going to be the last night of Plastic People. So we arrive at the club at nine or whatever, and there's a line down the road or whatever because it only holds like two hundred and fifty people or something. <laughs> this place. I kind of Sam was like, oh, you know, this is the last one. We should record it, you know, and. 
everything just sort of like fell into place it's like okay let's record this thing and we were like let's mic the audience as well oh shit yeah you're like nostradamus exactly and and on the recording you hear the crowd just going mental again and again and again as we drop each record and there's this level of frenzy in the crowd when they realize certain things coming in oh my god you know those (coughs) there's you know those moments where like the next day you check your recorder Mm. and in that moment you would give anything on earth yeah. just to make sure it recorded yeah, properly. Yeah, yeah. You know, like in that moment, if someone was like, oh, mm. sorry, the, the cables were, it didn't record. You yeah, you can't think of anything worse. And I, I find it hard to listen to the recording. I find it really emotional when it comes on now. And I spoke to Sam about this a few weeks ago. I was like, do you ever, do you ever listen to the recording? No. And he was like, yeah. He was like, I, every now and then I put it on and it's really intense, you know, and it's like this thing, you know, that's just... That's crazy. Yeah. And the atmosphere in there was so unbelievably powerful and so joyous. And it was I'm getting like Yeah, it was one of the most pure I think that's why I think it's so significant to me. It's the purest collective sort of moment of pure love for music that I've ever experienced. Like everybody in the room beside themselves yeah. losing their minds at the sense of how much they loved this place and the songs that were being played. And I love <laughs> the idea of, well, first of all, I love the idea of a party that starts with bring the best. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, no, it's not, it's not, it's not, oh, this one's mm. cool or this one's yeah. brand new or yeah. just like, okay, why? Well, I, I mean, I can't believe you've, it's also so rare. I mean, I've had parties like that, which felt, you know, in the afterglow, it felt like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm done. It's perfect. Yeah. But they were never recorded. Yeah. And, and I certainly didn't go into them thinking Knowing that way. It was you know, the that's, last. that's, yeah, yeah. it's okay. So when you describe this party, the closing mm-hmm. of Pasta People, yeah. I get really excited because um, in my life, like there were a few moments like that. I think in the early rave days, in the early 90s, I had a few of those, not necessarily DJing, but just, these events that are just so magical and so powerful, they just fuel you and, mm. and they convince you in so many ways that everything's what it can be, yeah. what it can be. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I, I guess I'm just, I'm always curious a little bit, like, so when you've experienced that, so you've had, and then obviously, cause you tour like crazy, you've seen loads of okay mm-hmm. parties. You see loads of mid range festivals, mm-hmm. good ones. I mean, do you think, all the people that are going to all these parties and all these, how many of them do you think have really, how rare do you think that is to, to really, to experience that high, high, high level of a party? Um, I don't think, or do you think it's like a relative uh, thing or? Yeah, I think it takes all these certain ingredients to come together. And I don't think it, it's not, it's not something you can necessarily replicate by just being like, let's make sure we're in this venue with these people and this sound. Like, all these certain things i always get asked like oh what's your favorite place to play and i'm like there isn't really a favorite place because one night it might be amazing and then another night it's not so good but i think i'm very i've i'm chasing that like i'm always trying to play like the ultimate thing i'm doing pretty well these days like i have some like really good a lot of life affirming experiences and i'm very careful to avoid the ones that aren't going to be that you know like I'm also in this, I'm in this lucky position now where people are coming to see me because of 
and it's not just about me as a DJ, it's about me as a producer as much of anything. And I've got big records and they trust you. that I can play and people have, they've bought the ticket and they're saying to me, they're actively saying to me on social media and in person, like we came here to hear this record at this moment. Yeah. And I, once you've got that level of power there and you can play to a room, especially a big room and know that you can build it to this crescendo where you're going to drop this certain record that everybody who's come is waiting for that moment and they've saved all the production of the whole night and everything for that when you've got that going on it gives you you've got these like you know facilities (laughs) there to really make the night kick off in uh, in an amazing way yeah each year i've been really lucky the last few years where each year i've had like a massive big sort of anthem each Sounds year like you've been lucky like, for a long time <laughs> i mean yeah things have been going well and but i've had some really like some records that have just been like the peak moment record for the sets i've been doing the last few years and i had this remix of eric prids that had this really long like oh, yeah, six yeah, yeah. minute break that was a massive record. and the year that i had that like that was like the main part of the events that I would do at that time. So I'm going to these events and knowing that everybody's waiting. That was like a statement record. Yeah. So it was, uh, that gives you, puts, it puts me in a situation where to create that moment of collective euphoria, I've got a good chance of it happening, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And that was when, where it was like the, the length, the, the audacity mm-hmm. of the intro, <laughs> yeah. it almost became, it was like synonymous with your name for yeah. a while, which is incredible when you think about it. Like people were, I remember people were just saying like, oh, did you start, did you play the Fortet record or yeah. just, and it became like, that was code almost for mm-hmm. that, that length and space yeah. and confidence to, yeah. to lay that all out, which yeah, is, yeah. which is pretty cool. It's pretty good. Yeah, no, it it's was, a good I had a really fun time the year that record came out. You know? <laughs> it's a good one. So, okay. It's your last party ever. I mean, mm-hmm. what is your opening record like i i've always enjoyed going my favorite djs are the ones where i'm so excited for to see them play some sort of absolute curveball like like my real heroes are people like ricardo villalobos theo parish apex twin where you go and you're like oh my god i can't believe they played this okay and i think because i'm so into that i've loved walking on stage and just throwing out the most unlikely obtuse curveball of all time, you know, like, and I'll often play like crazy free jazz record or like an Indian hymn, things like that as See, my first I've nev- record. I've never understood. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I understand it, yeah. but I've never, I've never had the, I don't know. It's, that's a very, that's a very particular, yeah. it's a personality thing. Yeah. I love, for me, there's something so kind of punk rock about it almost to be like, I'm going to get up on here and there's this massive party going on and I'm going to play an Indian prayer. Nobody can do anything about it. And it's the beginning of the set. So they're not all going to walk away being like, oh, we're not in the mood for a night of Indian prayer right now because they know something else. Is- in that sense, it's a, it's, a, it's a power move. In that sense, it's a performance. It's, it's a deliberate showbiz move. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, and I like... Um, I'm quite honest about the fact that I enjoy the like competitive side of DJing. I like, I was like the, who can find the weirder, <laughs> the weirder. No, 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 on, on, on all levels, like that aspect of being like, I'm going to fucking blow everybody out of the water tonight. I'm going to do the set that schools everybody. Like, I like that. I'm quite into that. Uh, especially if you went to say you went to like dubstep nights in London or whatever, where it was like hour long sets, maybe less half an hour and be like, 
it's kind of like battle style you know it's like come on like prove yourself you know like and i just i'm like that like i roll up to these festivals and i get on stage and i'm not thinking to myself like all right mustn't lose the vibe of the party you know let's let's keep everything ticking along but i walk on and i'm like all right i'm gonna show everybody now like that's (laughs) that's amazing that's 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 kind of I think if I'm being brutally honest, that's no, where I'm, I'm happy. coming and from. Not yeah. everyone is that honest yeah. about it. I mean, I'm sometimes I think a few guests I actually asked point blank to start. Are you competitive? You know, mm-hmm. as a, I mean, in our business, it's sometimes people try to hide it or yeah. try to gloss over it. And, and I fall flat on my face sometimes. Like the my classic well, it's risk and reward. Yeah, I mean, this you, is the thing that I'm a disaster at is if I go to a party, especially if everybody there's done loads of like ketamine or whatever, and they're just like chugging along at like 120 BPM and it's just been rolling along for hours. And I walk on there and try and like switch things up and it somehow tank brutally. You know, like I'm very, I'm an impatient DJ. I can't do that thing of just like keeping it ticking along. I've always been, I've always been a little envious. Yeah, me too. Guys like, like, I remember guys like Marco Corolla in the old days, I would hear them play and the patience, I I don't know what the word is, but the focus and the patience and the ability to have those steps happen. So just take their time and then they can get it to a point where there's euphoria in the room because like hi hats come in or some little change has happened. And I'm like, I've got no patience. Like I can't. And, and I want to learn how to do that. And that's the thing that's always, I think we I'm still feel like I'm learning all the time with, I think one of the things that keeps me DJ and keeps me wanting to do it is I don't feel, I don't always walk off stage and think like, Oh, I was great. Or I know what I'm doing more often than not. I've been thinking afterwards being like, still not quite good enough. Like I've yeah. got to get better at this. Like it's not last summer, the summer before I was in Ibiza again and me and Ben UFO played at, um, DC 10 for Circo Loco. And we were checking into the hotel and we saw a poster on the wall saying that Ricardo Villalobos was playing Amnesia that night. And we finished our sets and we both thought we were really cool. The audience had gone wild. We generally had a good time. And we were like, let's go and see Ricardo. Like, that'd be great. So we go to see the last couple of hours of his set. We arrive there at like four or whatever. It's like, you know, half full or whatever in Amnesia. It's not popping off in any wild way when you walk in. And we're kind of like, oh, okay. And uh, we walk right into the middle of the dance floor. And after about five minutes, <clears throat> Ben looks at me and is like, I'm really, I'm getting quite into this. Like I've really, really like locked into it now. And I was, I'm like, yeah, 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 I am too. And then for two hours, he played the most unbelievably amazing set. I lost my mind. I was like, this is so crazy good. And Ben's there as well. And we're both like kind of freaking out. We don't. We can't identify any of the records. That's the greatest. We don't know any of them. We're like, what is this? None of the transitions that are happening make any sense. Like, we're like, how has he got into this other style all of a sudden? And he's not losing the crowd in any way. It was like eclectic and seamless and entertaining and unique and just totally on another level. Okay. I love that. And it was so good. And we walked out of the club and then I turned around and I said to Ben, we were bullshit tonight. Yeah, like, exa- I was going to say. I was like, what we just went and did was nothing. Yeah. I was like, this was real. Yeah. And I was, I know th- I I know was that so feeling. humbled in that moment. So, I was like, I mean, even just hearing the story, Ricardo's a perfect example for that. That's what, that's part of why I do the podcast, actually. It's just to be reminded, to hear all those little things that like, there's still something really beautiful and aspirational in yeah. it, you know? And because that's a perfect story because sometimes, you know, you do your part. 
You, yeah. you have your little, your career and your moment, whatever, and it's good. Yeah. And you feel whatever. And then it's just. And I think the thing that I was saying about, I've got the luxury of having these big records that I could put out. I, it's in that moment that I realize I'm like, yeah, I'm relying on those so exactly. much though. You it's, know, like, sometimes it's like cheating. I've just gone and done DC 10 and everybody loved it because I had those big records to play. But now Ricardo's like, he's on another level playing nothing I've ever heard. Well, he's not relying like, on, he's got no crutch. Yeah, he's got and no... none of that's going on. And I came, I walked the next day and it really made me rethink everything I was doing. I was like, I need to totally change up some of the way I'm playing. I need to think more mm. about like, how I'm doing this stuff has such a profound effect on me. But it's nice. But I'm I'm actually well. I'm not surprised. But you're pretty into DJing. Yeah. No. I mean, yeah. <laughs> no. But you'd be. But you'd be surprised. I mean, a lot of people aren't. And, yeah. And that. And that's. And I'm. I'm talking giant DJ. I mean, the yeah. DJs that are doing this like 200 shows a year. Yeah. And they're not necessarily. Mm listening to ricardo on the floor and yeah and, and yeah no i encounter that as know? well and like they're saying to me like oh how can you do it like i don't know about this djing like you know but i've got to do it like i'm just tied up in this yeah, thing well, some, of my, I, some of my questions at the end you know some of them were like you know when i originally conceived of the show some of the stuff about like well what do you see after djing mm -hmm. you know because this last party there's this idea that there's some you know it's the end of something yeah and a lot of it when you get to the end you know a lot of people it's it's like relief almost <laughs> there's a lot of people that you know yeah but i think a lot i think it's also when you've been doing something for a while if you don't if you don't recharge and mm -hmm. listen also yeah. to, also listening to other people a lot of people don't even go to the other club yeah. to hear the other guys play you know Is, do you want to name a specific opening track or you want to stick with just curveball i like i think if it was my last one ever because especially for me to play like an indian prayer or something like taps into a bit of my like upbringing and stuff and i think people would see that as it being a very me thing to do because it's so common in my sets okay so i'd play like a you know lata mangeshka or something like that you know it's funny i just thought i don't know if i'll keep this in but i just thought of when i did uh, the podcast with errol mm -hmm. getting errol to commit to any actual tracks okay. was like <laughs> it was shocking yeah. i mean he would be like he would start some yeah like he would qualify it like six times. It'd be, yeah. I, it got to the point where I'm like, Errol, just name your fucking yeah. record. Okay. It's like 15 minutes. Just give me the title of yeah. the record. Yeah. Um, for your last party ever, if you had to pick one of your own tracks, mm -hmm. something you've made, uh, you can only pick one. I know um, it's a, it's always tricky. Yeah. I did. I did. Uh, we were talking earlier about burial yeah. before we started the recording and I did some collaborations with him and there's one we did called Nova that's one of the things I'm most like proud of, of all the things I've done. Like I listened to it and I'm just like, I still, I remember us making it and it just like touches me in all the right ways. Like I still. About the experience or. No, just, the track. When I hear it, I'm okay. like, this is my favorite. You know, some, yeah, that's sometimes I, when I'm making music, I mean, I'm that, trying to make my like favorite music. Yeah. And I was like, I think that's one of the examples where I've made one of my favorite pieces of music. Okay, that's, that's exactly what yeah. I'm aiming for. Yeah, I know that feeling. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you, you make one that you would have bought at the yeah, record yeah, store. Yeah, totally, yeah. So what I have to ask, because I'm, yeah, we were talking about a bit in the car. Um, I'm a massive burial mm -hmm. fan. Um, and uh, so, yeah, a little, little tiny bit. What is What was like working? Did you work? actually in the same studio you send files back and forth i know you know him from no, school yeah, in the same studio sitting together and all the stuff we've done has been like that we just sit down with like the two laptops and just like work on ideas and usually get some sort of like start with some sort of mel melodic thing and get maybe like a riff or a hook together and 
build something up around that. And I learned so much from working with him. It was really just his whole take on how to treat sound and every sound you'll have something there that all the all the conventions kind of go out the window like the thing that you care about most let's put that really quiet in the mix you know (laughs) and the thing that's carrying the bulk of the main rhythm let's roll all the treble off it you know so it's just this weird muffled muggy sound in the back all the things that would go against your instincts he's always thinking of doing and trying out and after working with him for a while and seeing all that going on when i then sat down on my own i was instantly experimenting with all sorts of different different approaches like that like he just he thinks about timing and eq and composition and dynamics in a whole other way right? and i think that makes his music stand out so much like and he creates a world while he's yeah, making exactly. the music you know and he's so absorbed in it while you're making it i think you have well. to be yeah at that level for it to be convincing yeah and, it's certain, totally. and it is convincing yeah i don't I mean, he's up there for me. He's up with like, I don't know, him, Aphex, Leonard Cohen, and maybe Prince are like just the, <laughs> okay. just for whatever reason, you just, you know, it's not like you go back and listen to one track yeah, once yeah. in a while. It's mm. like, I have days mm-hmm. where it's just like, okay, it's going to yeah. be, it's burial day today, yeah, yeah. I guess. Um, what about as far as the magical, well, not the magical, the final set, uh, peak time record? I mean, it's it's kind of an impossible yeah. question, but but it's also more just you know what your idea is of peak time because you bring up, for example, Ricardo. Yeah, you know there are different there are different approaches to what that energy really mm-hmm. is. But yeah. for you, what is a absolute peak peak mountaintop? Like the, the experience I've had, and the thing that works for me is like because I I've got I can play quite eclectic. At night for me, I might start at like a hundred BPM and end up doing like jungle and dubstep and all sorts like during a two hour sort of set and one of the peak moments for me is that moment where it just suddenly switches into something on a like another sort of speed or level where i've built it up and built it up you know we've been like at like 128 bpm for like half an hour or something and i've got this plan thing where it just suddenly takes it to like 140 i like how you said half hour yeah like for some dj <laughs> like an entire half hour yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and i bring in um and i'll play you know something much faster or whatever it'll just like the moment that has that kind of genre flip but i've done it and it's timed well enough that it creates the pandemonium at that moment those are my like favorite favorite bits and there are one of the records that i've done that time and time again is the bug skeng oh i and love like, that record that is such a awesome sounding record on oh, so you all drop sound to systems. that half tempo yeah 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 it's and a it's crazy got this record where um the vocal at the beginning is just going dibby, 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 and I often loop that and I'll have that running for like five minutes, the loop of it when whatever's coming and like bringing in like dibby, 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 and it's happening over the thing. And then it'll go into the half time with that really low sub and the sort of like, I've seen some wonderful moments of euphoria that's crazy. when that's happened, <laughs> you know, like that's crazy. You mentioned that because this kind of segues into another thing. So my next question is a, I always ask, is there a record you've never played for some mm-hmm. reason, whether it's you're saving it for a special occasion or you're not sure. And it's crazy because that record, mm. that Skang record, yeah. I've never played it. Yeah. 
I always have it with me and it's in my like dream folder. Yeah. But it's a record where in my, in my dream party, and it's only my own inhibitions that keep me from making it reality in my dream party. That's exactly the kind of weird, like strange shift I would drop to, you know, and I haven't done it and you have done it. Lots of times. (laughs) Oh man. Well, I'm happy to know that someone's living living, (laughs) living it in reality. I I often, if if there's a record that I've been sitting there on for ages and I've haven't played it and I like if, if I'm in that situation, I often think mm, there's a reason I haven't done this. There's something. And one of the records that the things that I always want to do that with are things that are quite probably more euphoric than I think I can that get away with. you're comfortable with. And uh, one of the ones that I always want to play that I have on my computer is Binary Finery 1998. It's one of those ones that's it's ridiculously fast because the trance records of the 90s were faster than you remember. And I listen to it at home and I'm like, if you played this at the right moment, you know, like if you built it up and you got it in at just the right moment, then it would be amazing. You know, yeah. I also, there's another trance on the Safri duo, the bongo song. Oh my God. Like okay. I always think to myself, like, I wonder if you could play that in a cool way. That might like, be a bridge too far. Yeah. It, and I listen to it at home and like, no, no, it's too bad. It's too, it's too awful, but it's got this euphoric melody to it. And I'm like, that's when I see somebody like Ricardo and I'm like, he would play he something out off. of the blue and pull it off and I'd be like, oh my God, this is yeah. genius. Well, that is in the end, that's what makes a great DJ. <laughs> yeah, that, that they is know those, how to... I always, I'm good friends with Ivan, Ivan Smag, you know, mm-hmm. we always, yeah. we always had it, we would always have a running dollar. We had records we would share that we called them. They were like, they were just those records that were on yeah. the line. Yeah. They could go either way. It could be truly embarrassing yeah. or it could be awesome. Yeah. And it's just... I take those risks all the time. And it's I'm higher so risk and reward. It. Like I've had one, things where it's just been, everybody's looking at me like, what's happening now? Like, why have, why has this happened? But then moments when it's really, really worked, you know? Yeah. I think first is a skill of even identifying it, even mm. being sensitive to those dynamics yeah. in a record. And then, you know, if you don't take the chances, if those just stay in that yeah. folder, you're, you're not, you're never going to really, you're never really going to make a mark. You know, I play Jimi Hendrix cross town traffic sometimes. Okay. You're and on, you're, on your, you're on your own. Yeah. <laughs> it's totally like, it's so surprising how it sounds through a big sound system. It starts off with this like panning thing that moves kind of side to side across the room. And if it's like about 115 BPM, and if you've been playing kind of like disco and soul and stuff like that, and this comes on, it just sounds hugely powerful. And I've had some great moments with that where people have looked at me like, how are you playing this? How's that working? You know, like, do you, were you ever secretive with records? Did you ever, have you ever had that kind of like wanting to hide what it is or a bit like, I, you know, do a trip to Brazil or something and come back with all these great Brazilian records and things and maybe have a couple of things that I've got off some record dealer or something. And I'd be like, I don't think anybody else has got this yet. And I'm, this veers more to like radio and stuff because I do a lot of radio as well. And I would time it being like, I've got this hot record that nobody else has got. And maybe I'm not even going to say what it is. I'm just going to play it. But the thing that I'm most secretive about is like new stuff. That's worked out to be a huge thing for me is new stuff that I've made and that friends have made. Like I was talking about Ben UFO earlier, like we actively like us secretive about things and build them up and unreleased tracks and stuff, because that's become a huge part of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, also too, what happens is, okay, we're back after a little car drive. 
what happens too is it takes time to warm up. You know, a mm-hmm. lot of the time for me, it's a bit like yeah. DJing. I'm not a good starter. Mm, I've yeah, never, yeah, I've never been a good uh, yeah. half first half hour. Of my sets never, never so great. So no, it's like I know that. from doing radio things where I've done my own show for like a couple of hours and you're just stressed out at the beginning and trying yeah. to sound relaxed when exactly. you're not. Like. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the beginning. Well, also too with with these podcasts, it's quite personal. You know, you end mm-hmm. up you're either talking to a friend or someone you haven't seen in a while. Like we've met in airports, yeah. we've had, you know, there's, there's yeah, like, yeah. you know, like short conversations and then all of a sudden you, you always have a hunch that you're going to get along and you know, you, you know, you're pretty sure you can you're going to get along. evil or something. You're like, no, yeah. I knew you were. <laughs> I was pretty sure you weren't evil. Um, okay. So, so we were talking, I want to hear about your closing record at your dream party or your last party. I'm not one of those people that's when it gets to the one more tune, I want to end on like an ultimate banger where everybody rages to. I really want to bring everything down. And if I know that there's only like, say, half an hour left of a night and it's going, I purposefully really start calming things down to sort of like guide people into that ending rather than ending at this sort of peak. I don't know why. Maybe the pressure of the peaks just always felt too much. Too much. I can just tell people are tired and I play a lot of long sets and I can see the exhaustion in people. Well, so you, so you, you might have hit the peak earlier. Exactly. So that ending for me is more like, you know, let's calm everybody down and then really bliss them out for the last sort of like 15 minutes, you know, or so. One of my favorite things that happens, and it happened to me once at Fabric, is to play something that's very just so much not a club record but everybody's so happy they all give it a go and try and dance to it yes and i played uh joni mitchell carrie once at uh fabric and the atmosphere of the room and stuff is just not the right music for that space and it was just this really lovely thing where especially especially the women in the audience were like all suddenly just like dancing and like twirling around and everybody was having this very sort of loved up happy sort of moments so that would be the record i'd go for again i like that that the idea of ending on a very sort of like unclubby hippie-ish loved up type of moment appeals to me you know? i like that too mm. that's that's what i grew up with in the early yeah. the, the early ray of days that was the tradition you know you yeah. kind of end it's also nice you end uh it's real memory too. It's yeah. like the last, the taste in the mouth is it's like not, a slow dance. Yeah. You know, something like exactly. that. You know, I always thought it was a bit ridiculous when, la- well, not ridiculous. I always hated it when last track is like another big kick drum. Like, yeah. like here you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in case you didn't get enough. Yeah, when, yeah. <laughs> we were talking, the car quit. We, a couple of things came up and I was like, oh, stop talking. Mm-hmm. It's, it's too good. Okay. <laughs> um, so tell me, you mentioned a party you played with Damien Lazarus in Tulum. Yeah. Well, I was just talking, I was, we talked earlier about how, how I was like quite competitive and wanted to really like nail it and do really well. And I was saying that was when I remembered where I felt like I really didn't do it well. Like I totally misjudged. That's why I thought it was so good. Yeah, I totally misjudged what was going. It was me and Damien Lazarus and Black Coffee and, um, and Bedouin and some other thing, things I, I just wasn't familiar. I hadn't been to one of these how parties before. How were you dressed, before. first of all? <laughs> so I, I, like, I wasn't totally fitting in to the whole thing. And I've known Damien. But you had a robe on or No, something. I didn't have a robe or anything. You were robeless? Damien had given me some accessory. Everybody who went no. there was given like like pendants and like these special like USB things. The USB and these bags things are amazing. Like, yeah. I have a drawer at home. Okay. I have a drawer at home. And you just okay. open it up and it's like... 
80 shamanic (laughs) usb sticks from my it's like the 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 (laughs) proof of my friendship with damien lazarus so i went there and i just played too fast and then when i thought when i realized that oh the crowd wasn't feeling it in the way that i was hoping i resorted to adding more and more like breakdowns and stuff thinking like oh well if the desperate man's breakdowns yeah i'm like i need to pick up this crowd a little bit let's get some more breakdowns going on you know like and it's just that wasn't working either and i did my set and i mean everybody else there was like oh that was really cool or whatever but you can't believe i knew inside inside i was like no i just got that all wrong like it just wasn't the right vibe at all i hate when you know it wasn't great and people are like yeah (laughs) it was it was great and you're like "Mm." and then the other people who were playing they were just taking their time so much all the music was way slower and really taking their time on everything which is just something i'm just not very good at you know and it wasn't i didn't have a bad time because i enjoyed myself at the party so much because the location was just absolutely insane and there were just really friendly nice people everywhere and i ended up staying up all night and staying there for the whole thing and having a really really cool time but in terms of that wasn't one of the days when i went in and like smashed it at yeah. all. <laughs> well the reason i in the car why i was excited to talk about it was well i just like knowing that other people get in those situations oh, even yeah. though it's obvious I, mm-hmm. I like hearing it especially after your string of success stories that you <laughs> okay. the last hour of <laughs> and there i was when they gave me my grammy yeah. like, but uh I've, no but I, I and but that one specifically i've mm. just been in that situation so many times yeah exactly parties like that so first of all, you know you were asked to play because you are different. Yeah. So that is there is a certain security in that. It's like you weren't asked because you, you know, they know who you are yeah. and you're asked. And then, you know, you go in with a rough game plan or with whatever you want to do and it just doesn't quite work. And I'm always interested in, in then you have those decisions you make. Mm. So it, it's like, you know, the dr- not the dread, it, it, it becomes apparent. Yeah. Plan A is not working. Yeah. Know? And then so you went with breakdowns yeah. or, you know, and I don't know if you, you know, then you always have maybe some go to records that weren't mm. weren't the first. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess I'm interested in I just like hearing that other people have to deal with that as well. Oh, yeah, know? totally. I guess everybody does. Yeah, everybody know? does. And I'm I also I like to take bookings where I don't know what it's going to be like. And I did uh, I did this show with marshmallow skrillex and diplo at Creamfields, i knew that skrillex and diplo would say to the promoters we want him to be on our stage and i knew the promoters were going to be like why does this guy want to be at the festival at all type of thing and we you know we all made it happen so i was there with all those guys and i was there just wanting to have the experience and i went in knowing like I'm not going to know how to make this work. But I was on a bit earlier and the pressure wasn't on and I knew that they were going to come on as absolute heroes, whatever happened. And everybody was there to see them. But even I didn't have a great set personally that night. It was whatever. But to be standing there on stage and get a sense of what it was like for Diplo and Skrillex at the peak of the Jack U thing. Oh, yeah. And just seeing the crowd response and seeing what was going on and feeling what it felt like to be on stage when like pyrotechnics are going off and all that stuff. That was just like a really thrilling kind of moment, you know, just to get a glimpse of that world without having to be in it properly. It's fun. Yeah, definitely. And I also think too, I mean, you mentioned also in the car, we were talking about Skrillex, for example, Mm -hmm. and just despite whatever, you know, if the, there's a certain sector of people that be like, 
you know, scratching the chin saying, oh, mm-hmm. he, he, what's he going to do? Why is he here? And then boom, he delivers because yeah. he's killer, you know. But that's how I feel about a lot of, not all, but a lot of that, you know, very successful, very large scale stuff is a lot of it is it's made it to that point for a reason because yeah. a lot of it delivers on, on some yeah. big, big levels and it's hypocritical to, to not recognize that oh, power. Yeah, totally. You know? Yeah. And the skill of some of the DJs and things is like, yeah, they're like <clears throat> doing a lot very quickly and switching. It's a lot going on and not anybody can just do that, you know? Okay. So your dream party where would this party take place? What's what's your idea for location wise? What do you love? Hmm. Like, I mean, I like the variation. I think. I mean, I keep talking about the plastic people thing, which is a very small club. I do. I do like a club, like <clears throat> with a roof and stuff for the like the sound and things. But then I don't know if you get the right situation and it's outdoors and. Uh, it can be so fantastic as well. That's, it's a it's, tough it's, one. It's, it's a really They're tough one. Things. Yeah, I think given that I've already had the experience with the small club yeah, thing. Yeah, I was going to say, you can't go with I that think again. I've done that already. So if it was my last time again, I think I'd go for a much more like big sort of outdoor situation. Like, Yeah. I love how records sound outdoors. Mm, yeah. I find, I've been saying for years to my man- my management that like when I decide to really cut down my shows for whatever reason, mm-hmm it's going to be very simple. You want me to play? I only play outdoors. Okay. <laughs> That's been my plan for a few years. Like I think it's a very natural yeah. way to cut it down. And then you just never again, are you inside? Yeah. No, but, but small club, I mean, there's also something though, but you can't, the, the way smaller rooms, small clubs, the way they contain that energy mm-hmm. and that heat and that build up is yeah. pretty special. Um, who, if you could pick a dream, who's your fave while well, your favorite, who would be your opening DJ who plays before you? I would go with floating points okay. because we've done so much together and we've got it to a point where I think if we play a night together, we definitely like complement each other and make the whole thing kind of work. It actually know? works better. It's not just a, exactly. Cause yeah, a lot yeah. of back to back is like, <clears throat> like pure. I know that we, we push each other as well. Like there might be something where I'm there and I'm like, Oh, I'm not going to play that obvious thing. He'll be like, He'll look yeah, at me like, what's this? You know, like, <laughs> I think that's super important. Yeah. We, that's another that we talked about. I'm very, I'm thrilled to know you're competitive. I love it because so much uh, for me, so much of making music, it's like to impress your friends, but not in an ego way, just in like a record store way. Yeah, like, yeah. hey, this thing I made is dope. I mm. want everyone to be a yeah. little bit jealous. I want yeah. the DJ to play my record. Yeah, I want yeah. I want in a back-to-back when I play, I want that little instant of the guy reaching over to see what it is or, yeah. you know, and those that it's an important part of the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, so like raising the bar, like making things better and like... It's funny you mentioned, I missed out pretty much on dubstep like mm-hmm. into, i mean i i got some records up i wasn't around but i don't know if it was at all like what drum and bass and jungle was and all this mm-hmm. but that was something i always loved was that competitive super yeah. competitive and where cutting it's all, dub plates that's and the thing that it was really having... like it was part it was like there was sport in it and that's the thing i think i miss the most from what became club dj world yeah. you know i just think there's an honesty to that to that sport totally. side, you know? And all those stories of like, you know, people showing up with the new dub plate and it getting played like 10 times yeah. in a row. And it's the first time anybody's heard it and everybody's just going wild. Like, I, I love that. I love 
playing and one of the things I've really got into is playing a new record that I've worked on and it gets a pretty good reaction and then just playing it again about 15 or 20 minutes later and then it really kicking off on another level because those are the sort of things that I think in the past I've been like, oh, it's a bit taboo, you know, you've got, you've had a song and you've played it and it's gone off really well. So you're just going to try that again. Like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, it can be done in a certain way where it doesn't come off as lazy at all. It comes off as like a moment of genius, you know, where you just know yeah. what the crowd wanted at that point and it just brought it back again, you know, like, yeah. and I think when I hear those stories about like, oh yeah, somebody brought this new dub plate and they played it 10 times in a row, I'm like, yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah. definitely. But also too, when you think of the idea, even the idea of a rewind, mm -hmm. like yeah. there's nothing, I mean, that's the furthest thing from lazy. It's yeah, yeah. What it is actually is it's like, it's it's everyone care being so alert yeah. and and everyone having their taste and making it known and it all operating it's like yeah. everyone really caring yeah. about the music basically yeah, i love that stuff me too but that's yeah. but that's why i sometimes think that's so different to um day zero <laughs> can't you can't do a rewind that's the type of thing uh day zero i was getting that point man maybe i'll do a rewind maybe that'll get like oh you yeah. were down to like <laughs> item number five yeah, in the yeah. emergency list yeah. no rewind is way down there. <laughs> you're in trouble if you're thinking rewind at day zero <laughs> as far as your dream party or your last party who would be at the party i like I love to play to like a young crowd. Same. I'm really happy when... I'm ageist. Yeah, I go and I play a lot of like sort of student events and stuff. And that audience, I like to play to them. They're really enthusiastic about what I'm doing. But also, I'm so nostalgic about being a teenager and how when I went to hear music at that age, the level of excitement I had for it was just beyond anything. And I look back to that time always... And I try and sort of relive it in my mind almost that that makes me very enthusiastic about playing to younger crowds because I'm thinking like maybe they're having that moment where it's yeah. all new to them and they're just like, whoa, this is so exciting, you know. So yeah. I, I gravitate towards those sorts. Of, you know, I'm definitely not thinking like, oh, I want to go and play at the Lincoln Center is my dream, you know. No. I'm, that's I'm more funny. thinking like I want to go play this like freshers week party you know? yeah i feel exactly the same way actually but i also think too like i i sometimes think having having done all every kind of party mm -hmm. that like the party you're describing like the young crazy teenage yeah. whatever energy for me everything else is like consolation prize like everything else is kind yeah, of you want people to be euphoric and you need the the smallest amount of jaded people as you know, the old, if you've got people there being like, well, I've been to a hundred parties, like impress me, you know, it's a much hard, it's much more of a battle, you know? You need a very low jaded ratio, yeah, like a yeah. low. I also think sometimes you want a low percentage of uh, people that like go to the gym. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's something I, I sometimes think, <laughs> sometimes I'm literally, I look out there and I'm like, that's a lot of like physical fitness <laughs> yeah, going yeah. on. And I mean, too, nice. it's a bit too much. Yeah, like I want, <laughs> let's lower the gym membership amount yeah. and up the kind of student vibe. There was one, did you used to do hideout festival in Croatia? Have you ever I did done that? one. Yeah. So I, I did that and I did it a few years and I used to, like, I really liked it. And then there was one year where it became really popular with this sort of like 
sort of yeah. like know they're like sort of working out muscle sort of muscle men sort shirts of off too because it gets quite hot yeah. out there and i was playing this morning set and it was me it was probably like me and ben ufo or somebody like i was some really Two guys really like nerdy crew i was with basically no gym action between all beach. of you yeah we're standing on this beach and we are none of us are dressed we're just wearing some like draggy old t-shirt no glamour we just look like this dorky bunch and the whole crowd is this like toned pumped up like muscle men and i just remember having this moment being like some what's happened here how have we become the chosen entertainment for for, for this crowd like i don't but understand a, what's going that's on that's kind of a running a bit of a joke i had with ben Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of times me and ben ended up at dc10 together okay and he was oh, DJing. That's popular there yeah and i remember just joking with ben saying like ben like you realize like to all these italian dudes yeah. like you're not even a man like you're <laughs> like you're like they don't see they yeah. see you're something else yeah. like you're something else but you are not yeah you're not like direct competition yeah, yeah. you're like a different yeah but maybe that's like, that's what entertainers are. Yeah. Or, or, <laughs> but it's, I feel like that too sometimes where you just, where you're, there's no way you would ever be there yeah. if you weren't oh, the guy yeah, yeah, playing totally. the records. You know? But Ben, he's like me in that aspect where we both hunt out those sorts of mm. things as well. We want to be like dropped into those weird situations uh, yeah. to just like have the life experience, you know, and like. But I also think too, there's a thrill in making the less obvious situations work. Yeah, completely. Is, I remember when I, before, when it was only vinyl, mm -hmm. when I first started touring, you know, you'd have to pack a box of like 80 records for like eight shows. Yeah. And you'd find yourself <laughs> at some shows with the wrong records. Yeah, and just yeah. straight up the wrong. I remember yeah. once I played a show in Hungary, my first time ever, I was really young and, and it was like a hardcore party. Okay. I mean, I had no, whoever booked, and there was a mistake. Someone yeah, yeah, made yeah. a mistake. Okay. You know? And and I remember I was like, I only had records and I'm going, I mean, I ended up going to like B2 cuts. I had like six <laughs> records. Yeah, I'm playing them at plus eight. Yeah. I'm doing everything to possibly maybe yeah, make yeah, it yeah. work. Hold it together. But it's kind of, it ends up being mm. kind of fun. You know? Yeah. I mean, fun. Who, if I give you a special, like a golden ticket, you can invite a, one person alive or dead, friend, family, famous, anything to attend your party. The, um, I've heard you ask this question to people. I was like, the dead thing is kind of easy. It's too easy to be like, oh, well, I want to okay, so have like a family member back or no, whatever. No, like, don't do that. Yeah, don't, isn't, come on. But so I was thinking about this. I was like, alive's much more interesting to me because it puts it in the realm of possibility. And my choice is Zach Efron. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're, gonna have to, you're gonna have to explain. Because have you seen have you seen the Zach Efron film, the EDM film, We Are Your Friends, where he's a DJ? I saw the. I did see the uh, trailer. Okay, so I've seen the actual film a couple of times, and there are. Uh, there's this thing in the middle of the film where he gives this kind of tutorial about like this is how to do a killer dj set okay. and he explains about like you start out at like 125 bpm and <laughs> over the first half hour you slowly like nudge it up to like 127 and you're doing these things and you're dropping out the bass here and there and building up to this certain level and then once you've really got everybody, then you nudge it up to one, two, eight. And then you're at like the rate of the human heartbeat. And then... Does he say heartbeat? Is yeah, that an yeah, actual... Yeah. <gasps> yeah. And he says all that. And then there's this montage of him like blowing up parties of the whole thing. And I, I watch this and I'm obviously being all cynical and dying laughing about it. And then I keep having these moments where I'm doing sets. I'm looking at what's going on. I'm like, 
doing the Efron. I'm pulling the Zac Efron move right and now. And it works. And it's working a charm. <laughs> like, I was like, this room is blowing up right now. And I've, I, this is an ongoing joke with some of my friends. And they're like, oh, how did the set go? I was like, I just did the Efron method. And it went <laughs> the perfectly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what about, are you an after party guy? Uh, no. No. Not because it, it just, it doesn't happen in my world. I don't encounter any after-party situations playing on that sort of circuit so much where there's after-parties so, going no on second location. It's, yeah, like... It's over. I mean, after-party in the extent of like, let's all hang out and go get breakfast together or something. Yeah. But not after-party. I've never ended up in a villa somewhere where Solomon's been awake for like four <laughs> days straight and you know is playing playing like (laughs) Like 99 luft balloons mixed with with could you be loved yeah Yeah. totally yeah i've never been i've (laughs) never even been invited to one of those things Uh, and i I live i live those completely vicariously through youtube it's almost like you know you'll get some a friend will send you something and it's like it's almost like you're there yeah So, so i see stuff like that online and i think people would assume like oh all djs get invited to all these after parties and things but the the honest truth of the matter is i've never been invited to an after party so that's it's just not a realm of my world at all you know yeah i think it i think it's one of those things where you kind of people read the signals too yeah. you know i think it also depends how quickly you leave yeah I mean, i've been known to i've been known to pack it in pretty quick after yeah. my set but i just i've i don't go to a second location yeah i know that by the time i get there i'm like what why i could have been at the hotel right yeah, now, yeah. You know? um but if you would you have, a, if you were forced or to have, is there an after party? If you had an after party, like for your own dream party, yeah. who would DJ? Oh, Solomon, party? definitely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stupid question. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually pretty impressed with Solomon, I have to say. Yeah. I'm pretty impressed. Yeah. He did. He's, I, I like a lot of his remixes, actually. He he's, did a, uh, um, we did Coachella. It was me and daphne and floating points and he came on after us and we'd been we played quite a long set like three or four hours or something and there were three of us there and we had babies with us and family members and just this really weird crew of people right we're just in coachella doing this thing and then solomon arrives with a huge entourage he's got an unbelievable amount of people with him and he walks on stage none of them are babies no 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 he's just got like all these like agents and friends and just all these people everywhere and he's super nice to us and we all hang out and it all feels good and then um and we've been doing whatever we're doing and then he comes on and he's just like blowing up the place in the first record and he's got like 30 people on the stage going wild and that was another one of those moments where i was like yeah I, th- I think we were just doing some like amateur nonsense right now yeah <laughs> you know, like, well that's a whole that's a whole <laughs> thing into itself that became like the the entourage and what happens in the booth and what happens behind the booth that's mm-hmm. like a whole i guess it's a skill in yeah. and of itself i mean i don't know skill if that's the right word but it's a whole i'm it's not a whole good thing. at putting stuff like that together and then and i'm not one of those people who's like never occurred to me very i'm not trying to do anything visually impressive well, I'm, there. I'm just trying to DJ the best I possibly can. You know, that's all I'm, and I'm not ready to deliver some sort of like exciting visual element. I don't talk to the crowd. I don't wave. I don't like jump around. No, me neither. You know, none of that stuff, you know. And Do you uh, feel, are you okay with that? I'm okay with that completely. Do you ever feel like you're letting them down? I mean, not, no, you, no, like, you I, no. I think it's all about, I think 
I, when I see it and I'm cringing, it's because somebody's really making an effort to do it rather than just doing what comes naturally to them. And I just think it's that's the trick. It's just all about being yourself, like and being just like a sort of honest representation of your personality. If you're just doing that, that communicates enough to the crowd as long as they feel they're seeing something genuine. For myself, that's something I've I've struggled with in terms of the presentation because I don't think. I guess on some level, once the parties got past a certain point mm-hmm. in size, once the spectacle thing grew to be a bit more thing, uh, my body language or my didn't evolve with the scale yeah, yeah. of the event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. my, do you know what I mean? My, the, how much I physically project was very much geared towards a, a 400 person party. Yeah. It didn't necessarily make the leap yeah. to 4,000 people. It's such a big thing in DJing now to like wave your arms in the air in a certain way though and everything and like to like I just, ca- I just can't I can't yeah yeah and it is a very weird thing and it's I want to I love it because I find it highly I see the people who just take to it naturally I watch Fisher or whatever and he just looks like relaxed and totally in his zone oh yeah and he's blowing up a huge crowd instead of when I see all that stuff that's going on like the sort of Instagram side of DJing and the stuff that's getting captured on YouTube and everything. I try very hard to be like, all right, I'm not just going to write this off and be like, oh, this is some sort of foolish nonsense. I I think it would be really like stupid of me to try and like, I start being like, all right, well, which bits of this are working for me and what, what do I and who's doing something where it's just undeniable how much they're entertaining people and stuff. You know, I have one question about back to music, like, cause I don't know exactly how to put it. Yeah, like I said, when I first heard about you, it was roughly, I approached a lot of things like from as somebody who used to have a record store and I mm-hmm. ordered records and, you know, so I always thought about it. And I remember first thing, okay, that's a bit strange, you know, mm-hmm. like roughly like Autechre, you know, kind yeah. of broken and as in not straight dance floor, you know, as yeah. in not. And then, and now, and somewhere along that journey, you got to a place where it's totally not the case. I mean, where the records are really, really work but i'm curious like in the transition period or like you know i don't know how much was conscious it sounds like a lot was conscious Mm -hmm. but for example like the prids remix Mm -hmm. when you make that Mm -hmm. and the decision let's say to to make the the section so long yeah in your mind how confident are you that it's going to translate so with that one i i actually contacted them and asked to do the remix like i heard you had an idea i heard the original song okay and his one has got that long intro and then it goes into this like very intense sort of euro beat like not swinging at all like completely different feel and i was like i love the first half but i can't play the other half in my set it's just another world from what i do and i was like what if it had a beat at the beginning you could mix into and then that intro was a breakdown and then it dropped into so that came from more, an actual so idea that, yeah, that, that was idea. an existing idea yeah, i had the idea i contacted them and i was like please let me do this i i need this record to be a certain way for me to be able to play it okay so that one's not such a good example because so, yeah. then you'd be pretty confident because, yeah, you, so because was, it originated it with was it. all there and i was like i knew that I, I felt like I heard his, I just knew the power of it straight away. I was like, oh, wow, this is, I've actually got like, so what's happened to me in the last few years is 
there was this thing you're like looking for music trying to find like a massive track the next thing that's going to be so useful in your set and i'd spend ages going through Same. and everybody i knew was like going being starting to go back through things like hang on let's reassess the whole pearl on catalog let's let's go back through all of this let's find those hidden Nightmare. like you know uk garage tracks that can be played in like a house a tech house set now or whatever and i was doing all that for a bit and looking for things and then after a while i was like this is taking so it's much time as inefficient the... as like I, making things yeah. is way easier for yeah. me. And I started realizing making things that are just sort of totally and utterly functional that are designed to blow up the crowd. So I was making things with no intention of releasing them that have become my biggest tracks over the last few years where they were made just to be like, I need a really big DJ track that's going to work in. So the last couple of years, my biggest track's been this one with this like Nelly Furtado sample. It's like only human record, which was made purely to have something to play out this thing. I was like, I just need a peak time record that's going to work. And and that's what happened. The same with the Eric Briz remix. I was like, oh, that could work in this way. And that'll be a perfect like peak time, <laughs> massive record. What you described about that cycle of, okay, you spend all your, you're always trying to find that next amazing record for mm -hmm. yourself to, yeah. to enjoy DJing and to be happy yeah. and to keep it all moving. And then some people go the, the nostalgia route or the digging route, mm -hmm. which I always, it's a bit for me, not mm -hmm. the ideal. And then, yeah, oftentimes it's easiest. You're like, not easiest, but like, okay, I'm going to make it myself. Yeah. But with you, what's really nice to see is, um, I don't know, I guess you're one of the only people I really can think of who you're coming at it from a very musical, slightly experimental, interesting angle, mm -hmm. and you're making records that are extremely uh, effective. It's because I'm trying to tick these few boxes. I'm trying to reach the level of the experience I had at the Villa Lobos thing, uh, Amnesia, which is so deep and musical and experimental on some levels. And I'm also trying to keep things going for when I do a back-to-back -back with Skrillex. Yeah. And I want to be able to get invited to Solomon's after party at some point as well. You know, so I'm like trying well, to like, I, well, I guess for me to finish it off, <laughs> I have a folder. <laughs> I have a folder on my computer. I have my folder system. Yeah. I should be put in like an asylum. Okay. It's like, it's like outsider art. <laughs> it's like fractals. Okay. It's like one thing leads to yeah. thirty. but I have one folder and it's like the Holy grail. Okay. And I call it respectable bangers. Okay. And you're, and these, <laughs> and these tracks you're talking about, yeah, yeah. it's exactly that. It's, it's like that. a Venn diagram. Yeah, it's yeah. like, has the feeling of dancing with your friend to Villa Lobos yeah. at, at 5am yeah. and yet can survive yeah. in these other environments yeah, and even totally. thrive. Yeah. And that is, and that's actually with my, myself making mm -hmm. music in my own way. That's what I'm always striving yeah. for. I think that's the, the, the great moments in music that i've experienced have been when somebody's made something that's desperately experimental but everybody heard it and just related to it and understood it instantly so i'm thinking of records like get your freak on or like window liquor or something where yeah you, the first time you hear it like this is the weirdest record of all well, time but everybody hears it and they just all like it it's yeah. they're experimental yeah until they're just great. Yeah, yeah. So they're experimental and then it's it's transcended by just yeah. being great. Yeah. And then totally. once it's great, no one's talking about how it's experimental. Anymore. Totally, yeah. Even I know, Bohemian Rhapsody or whatever. There's yeah. just loads of examples of this. Yeah, you know, they like, they're they're weird, but yeah. a, a lesser record would just stay weird. 
Yeah. But they're so good. Totally. That, that is undeniable. Work. Yeah. Well, congratulations. I think you've made a few. And it's, <laughs> and it's not it's easy. dream, yeah. That is the dream. Uh, Kieran, I guess that's it, really. Um, yeah. I will... I'm probably going to go listen to that Plastic People set pretty soon. Okay. And uh, thank you very much for uh, your time. No, thanks for having me. It's good fun. Mm-hmm.